You want to finally balance how much inventory you have. And my goal is always three or four turns of inventory every year, which means three times a year or four times a year, you're down to zero. You want to stock up a little bit more and maybe have 90 days of inventory going into Black Friday, maybe 120 days. But like, you know, in July, you might want to have 30 to 60 days because it'll be a slower month. Like you want that stuff to turn so you don't have a bunch of cash sitting on your out, uh, balance sheet in inventory right? where it's not earning you anything. But then there's also the balance of higher quantities and lower cost per unit, right? There is that fine balance. Yeah, Everyone has to make that judgment for themselves. Like how much inventory are you willing to store and right. how much are you willing to like, uh, you know, can you get price discounts with, with what you're doing? Right, right. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Hundreds of direct consumer brands use Tatari's platform to buy and measure TV ads just like digital. They have deep publisher relationships that give you the best CPMs on linear and streaming TV. Check out their three-minute demo video at tatari.tv slash limited supply. Okay, Nick, season five, back together. Yeah, here we go. This is great. I think this is going to be the best season we've got. More right. prepared, more excited. We got a lot of notes from last season. Yeah. Made some changes. Understand what people want to hear. And one of the unique changes that we made is we're theming some episodes. Yeah. So we're going to go through a Black Friday, Cyber Monday theme. We've got a marketing that's theme. that's next week. That's next week. Yeah. Uh, we've got, uh, I do want to do this current events theme because there. I think there were some great articles recently or dur- okay. during the break about e-commerce businesses. Uh, but today's theme is going to be operations. How do you run a business from an operational perspective? And we talk a little bit about how you grow that business, both from a really small scale to a very large scale. Yep. Uh, and I'll tell you my experience at Native because I thought it was interesting and we were sort of breaking new ground, at least from my perspective. And we we talk about that from a di- few different perspectives. One is manufacturing, uh, both when it comes to like, components and when it comes to products. Mm-hmm. Some is about uh, inventory and how much inventory you should hold. And then others is about logistics and how to vet and look at 3PLs. The hard part about episodes like this is they can't cater to every... Like if you make bicycles, it's probably a very different business than if you make something like deodorants. So I'm going to try and be as broad as possible and as specific as possible with native experiences. But if you're making bicycles or like refrigerators... I apologize if, like, you know, this, uh, if the manufacturing part is not for you. Yeah. And if you're listening, try to get the frameworks of what that's you're right. saying. That's right. Versus the actual content. That's right. Okay. We're going to start with a guess that business, which is a controversial segment, but. Um, yeah. And I, I think, realized so many, it was so controversial. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was so much yeah, fun. Yeah. It was so much yeah. fun. Okay. We'll do it really quickly this yeah. time. Uh, about a $1.72 billion market cap. It's down 73% in the last two years. Okay. Revenue is $600 million up 10% year over year, 57% gross margins, $341 million in gross margins, 77 million in marketing costs or 13% of revenue, 27 million in adjusted EBITDA or 5%, 2.3 million active customers in the past 12 months. Hmm. Um, so let me get that $2 billion market cap-ish, 600 million in revenue, 77 million in marketing, 27 million in profit, adjusted EBITDA. 2.2 million customers in the past year. They have brick and mortar stores, 200 stores. Stores that have been open for 12 months or more generate 2.1 million in revenue, 200 stores. Is it like a C's candy? No, good question. Good guess. Uh, mostly direct to con- uh, Actually, I'm not sure if it's mostly direct to consumer. It's consumable? Uh, no. Okay. Where are the stores located? 
You've been to what? New York, San Francisco, Dallas, Austin, Miami. Okay. Uh, apparel? Ish. Apparel-ish. Who's the buyer? You, me, probably you and me at like at sixth grade. Oh. I'll give you one more hint. You might be wearing the brand right now and it's above your neck. Aloe. Is that hat from Aloe? No. Okay. What's above your neck? Oh, Warby. Yeah. There. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that is pretty good. Two billion dollar market cap, down seventy three percent in the last two years. That's top six hundred million in revenue. Though. Yeah, I think sometimes we don't recognize how much revenue these businesses are doing, or yeah. like you know, we see they look, seem so unattainable. Six hundred million in revenue—that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. But like, True Classic Tees is at a hundred some million dollars in revenue. Right. They launched two seconds ago. That's true. And Warby Parker launched more than a decade ago. And they're they're public, yeah. They're public, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into manufacturing. And I'm going to talk about manufacturing, particularly from my experience at Native and how I thought about this. You know, when we were small, we were trying to buy plastic components for our deodorant. And we're like, how do we buy these plastic components? And, you know, we talked to people and they're like, you have to order 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 plastic components. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do with 5,000 of these things? Like, where am I going to store them? What happens if this business doesn't work? I got to throw all this stuff in the garbage. I'm not going to buy 5,000 of these things. Yeah. So I Googled and there was this company called SKS, which sells plastic components to people who are basically selling on Etsy or other suppliers. They, they sell them for a huge markup. You know, imagine paying 60, 70 cents for a, maybe even more than that. It might've been a dollar for a plastic component for deodorant. But they're like, look, we'll sell you 10, we'll sell you 50. We'll give you some price breaks as you buy more. But like, you know, if you're buying 5,000, probably don't buy from us, go buy from somebody else. Like it's almost like, a, it's not a Shopify site, but it's like a Shopify site. When that you just add how many ever you want and then they'll ship them. You don't need to talk to a sales agent or anything like that. It's all self-serve, which is unique in this type of business because like, you know, you just generally don't have like you usually when you're at scale, there's a sales agent that you have to talk to and price quotes and all that. On kind WeChat. Of stuff. Uh, yeah, sometimes <laughs> on WeChat. So when we started, we were using SKS. We were probably buying them for 60 or 70 cents a unit, buying them at about a hundred or five hundred unit increments. Then we graduated and we're like, okay, we're going to get more. We're ready to buy five, 25,000, 50,000 at a time. And we started looking for other suppliers that would give us price breaks, but that had probably longer lead times. And at this level, you probably still aren't able to get like custom components. Mm -hmm. So we talked to a few different people. One was called Intrapack, which I believe was based in like uh, Pennsylvania. And then there was one Canadian company whose name I don't remember anymore. And we'd order from these guys. And question. At this time, yes. this was like, this was first, uh, below the first thousand deodorants? SKS was the first 10. And were you in the mindset of, I just need to get components to make this thing and see if I can sell it? Yes. Or I need to make sure my cogs are really dialed? No. Yeah. I was basically like, let's see if this business works. Okay. And I'd rather spend a dollar on a piece of plastic than 50 cents on a piece of plastic and then find out this business doesn't work. And yeah. I've sold half, you know. Now I've got a bunch of extra plastic sitting at home collecting dust. I don't yeah. know what to do with this. And I've wasted an extra grand. I'm, I wasn't ready to pay an extra grand and believe in the business yet. Right. And in fact, that was a theme in my entire career, which is a big mistake. But in any case, then we graduated to Intrapack and Precision, I believe it was. And they were reduced their prices a bunch for us. So we dropped from 70 cents to like 50 cents. I remember what happened like in 2016, February happened. And I was like, okay, we need 25,000. They're like, Okay, the lead time went from like six weeks to 18 weeks or like 12 weeks. And I was like, what? The lead time is six weeks. We have like eight weeks of components. We can't wait 12 or 18 weeks. 
And they're like, yeah, we just have a lot of people worrying from us right now. And I was like, when did this happen? Like, you know, you got to tell people if your lead time is yeah. doubled. And what I realized, uh, what happened was that Chinese New Year was happening. And so all of these people who usually place orders in China were like, oh, I forgot to place my order or things are in trouble. So I'm going to use the guy in America or in Canada. And so these guys in America and Canada booked up. Then we started, there's this company called McKernan that has like um, clearance. Like let's say you ended up buying 5,000 deodorant components and you could only sell 1,000 and you have 4,000. You sell them to McKernan for three cents each and they sell them for 15 cents each. And they're like, hey, do you want to buy from us? We'll sell them to you for cheap. And they were garbage components. And I was like, even at free, I wouldn't take these garbage components. Yeah. And so we just had to keep looking for other places. And I don't even remember how we solved that issue. I think we ordered as much as we could from SKS, as much as we could for every, we were just begging everybody. Finally, we got to the scale where we were using a Chinese supplier and I went out to China to see these guys manufacturing our components. And it was the most impressive facility you've ever, it makes every American facility look like dog shit. Really? I'm just like, these guys have spent it, it was so much money in CapEx. They need a new machine or a new mold. They need a new mold. They're not like, hey, this mold is going to cost you money. They're like, we believe in your business. We're willing to put our money where our mouth is. Our mold is cheaper than the one in America because we're in China, but we're going to buy the mold tomorrow. And we're going to have it ready to go in a week if you're going to order if you're going to order these deodorant components from us. Or even if you think you will, let us put our money where our mouth is and show you that we're invested in this business. Have you, have you ever been out to a Chinese manufacturer? No, I really want to go. Oh my God. I kid you not when I say there's a red carpet when you get there. Wow. You go to this building and it's like, it's exactly what you expect in a Chinese manufacturer. Like it's massive. It's like, shockingly clean, but also built in the 1980s. Yeah. And then there was a red carpet where you walk down like you're the king of England and they're all standing outside. Like, you know, Downton Abbey, it's like Downton Abbey. All the staff yeah, is outside yeah. greeting you. There's a big sign that says, welcome Moise Ali. That's how they greet you. Wow. You go through a room where they like um, spray you with air to ensure that you don't have any like contaminant, like, you know, you don't have any dirt on you. And I'm like, we're in China. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. hey, we care about cleanliness. And I was like, this is amazing. Like they make you wear these things on your shoes, not booties, but like basically Ziploc bags Wow! to be like, we don't want you to track any gross stuff in here. And then they produce as many deodorants as you want. You know, they're not- The components or this is the film? The components, okay. the components, just the plastic. And by components, I mean plastic. That was the thing that I learned. And I'm just saying that like, I, I, like everyone knows that components just mean plastic. They produce them all. Whenever we advertised on Native, right when we launched, we pretended like our packaging was all matte and it was actually glossy. And when we got to China, we're like, we, we want matte. They're like, no problem. We're going to do matte. Wow. All of the intra-packs of the world produced deodorant components and the lids and the body would not be flush with each other. There were weird edges. Their, their molds were garbage. Yeah. And they didn't want to replace them in China. Never a problem. Wow. You know, we had to put labels on them. We like labeled them and the labels cost us like another 25 cents. I used to go to a copy and print store in San Francisco and they would make my labels. And then I would FedEx them to the or to our manufacturer that was based in uh, California, and she would start applying them. Wow. And anyway, th those are the stages we went through. SKS was about seventy cents. Intrapack was about fifty cents. China was about twenty five cents. Actually, it was even less than that. I think it was like twenty cents from China for both cap and, and like for lid and body. And that was really great. We saw those cost savings. So that's how we did manufacturing from a component perspective. Now I'm going to talk about the fill perspective. Okay. I had this tweet thread about this a long time ago. We actually worked with an Etsy supplier to make our first- oh, got so much hate for this. I got so much hate for it. Uh, basically, I, I have no idea. Look, someone was like, did you pay the, your female employee? Did you pay the female people enough? And I was like, 
we agreed to a price. I wasn't like, you're female, so you get more. You know, I wouldn't have been like, you're male, so you get more either. I'm like, we agreed to a price. That's it. That's how this stuff works. Yeah. And then the same person who had the, uh, like, was sort of um, trolling me on this tweet thread was like, did you compensate her once you sold the business? And I was oh, like, I remember that. Look, when I sold the business, I didn't go to UPS and be like, hey, UPS CEO, you guys have been doing a great job. Here's some extra money, UPS. Right. Hey, a uh, company who built, hey, toll guys, hey, Port of California. We've been importing so much good fucking components yeah. into California. You guys are killing it. Let me give all the union guys a little yeah. bit more money. Why you, I need money. Uh, yeah, give yeah. it to everybody. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, look, there was a trade and <laughs> the trade was money for services. And I wasn't like, you know what? We did really well. Right. We compensated you forever. You know, that, that was, so when we were making this from Etsy, and don't get me wrong, I, I this Twitter person was trolling me, that, but the manufacturer that we worked with was fantastic. She charged us $5.50 for each deodorant that we made, mm -hmm. and we were ordering 500 at a time from her. Okay. That didn't include component, and that didn't include sticker, like labels. So you would send her the components? I would send her the components. I would get the labels from a FedEx store, like you know, a copy and print store in, yeah. in, um, in San Francisco, those in FIDI, and then I would use Golden State Overnight to send them to her. And once she was done, I'd use, use Golden State Overnight to send them back to me and ship them out. And that's how it was working. She was charging five fifty, which is a fortune. She made me go through the Etsy wholesale supplier like a website, which existed at the time, and so I had to pay like a three percent credit card fee. And I was like, "Did I send you this information via ACH? Or the, I'm sorry, the uh, cash via ACH?" And she's like, "No, I like the Etsy portal, yeah. and so I want to use that." And I was like, "So it's just gonna cost me three percent more every transaction." Yeah. And so what happened was, at some point, she's like, "Look, this is getting too big for me. I don't want to do this anymore." And so we started looking for new suppliers and I created this Google sheet and I called up every supplier. I remember I talked to two. One was KDC, which I didn't know. We're going to talk about KDC later. They were based in Canada. They make all of Unilever's deodorants. And they're like, you're too small for us. Then I, I remember talking to some guy in Chicago and he spoke for an hour. We had a conversation for an hour. He did 59 minutes of speaking. Wow. And he's like, do you want to work with us? And I was like, absolutely not. You don't even care what I'm doing. All you want to do is talk and you're like, that's it. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, absolutely not. A lot of the other suppliers uh, I talked to were like, okay, we could probably get this done in six months to a year. And I was like, well, this woman's quitting in five weeks. So, or no, it was five months. So I was like, that's too long. We were also like tapping her out. She was like, I can make 500 units a week. And we were already selling more than 500 units a week. Yeah. So I was like, we need somebody who has more supply. And so I contacted Mary at TBL. There was some woman who put us in touch actually. Some consultant where I was like, do you know anyone? And she's like, call Mary. And uh, wow. I called Mary and Mary's like, do you really need this many? And I was like, yeah, motherfucker, screw making <laughs> And she would laugh if I said that, if I said that to her. She, she wouldn't be upset if I called her that. So she's like, okay, we'll make them and it'll take us six weeks. And I was like, you're hired. So she made them. And then the first uh, run, I was having them picked up from her and I had a truck sent. And I was using some website to book trucks. And the truck didn't show up that day. It was like a Wednesday. And so then on Thursday, I had a new trucking company show up because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And then the original trucking company from Wednesday showed up on Thursday and took the stuff. And the new trucking company contacted me and they're like, hey, we're here and they don't have anything to ship. And I was like, Mary Berry is a crook. <laughs> uh, and so I called her up and I was like, what happened? And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, the guy's there. He says, you don't have anything. And she's like, I already put it on a truck. And so, uh, you know, it all worked itself out. She, turns out she's not a crook. Yeah. Uh, we worked with her for another 10 years, basically. And that was the only hiccup we really had where I thought she was a crook. 
was that first day where I was trying to pick stuff up. But in any case, I want to talk about pricing. We started at five fifty. When we started working with Mary, we were somewhere between the two and three dollar range. That was that was five fifty for the Etsy supplier. Yep. And then how much were you, you were paying? Like eighty cents a dollar for the component. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, if you looked at my P and L, I would be basically be making like a dot. Like we priced it at twelve dollars because my co- it would cost me about ten dollars to ship out a single unit, mm-hmm. maybe even eleven dollars. And I was like, I should be able to make a dollar or two in profit. Yeah. Like that seems fair. Yeah. And uh, that's how we got to the twelve dollar price point. I literally I still have a spreadsheet where I'm like, this is how I did the math. This is, it cost us ten dollars, and I think it was like twenty cents for a unit. Yeah, and I was selling it at twelve dollars, and I was like, "This seems reasonable." Yeah, and there was no other thought to the twelve dollar price point after that. Wow, which was crazy because it like you know after we sold the business to P and G, P and G is like we raised all of our prices for deodorant because we realized that people we thought people would only pay four dollars. We see people paying twelve dollars, so we've raised the price of Secret and Old Spice by a buck because wow. we know that people will pay that. So like lifted the price of all deodorants because of this spreadsheet that we created. Yeah, I feel like uh, natural deodorant now goes for like sixteen to eighteen dollars. It is unbelievably pr- like I don't know where these I don't know how people are justifying these prices now. Yeah, and like you know by the end of it, our cost was two dollars. Wow, component fill everything. I mean that was at a large scale. Yeah, what scale was that two dollars at? Probably like a hundred thousand unit run. Yeah, then we were making a fortune. Right. But basically, what happened is. As our prices went down, our CAC went up. And so like yeah. whatever we were paying less to all of the manufacturers, we were paying to Facebook right. to get us more customers. Right. So our margin never increased. Like our margin did increase, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, like, um, it was going to suck. It was going to suck, yeah. But like what, what the goal was there was if we could sell two units, uh, especially by the end, like, you know, the shipping was more expensive than the cost of the deodorant. And so if we could sell you two units, we made a lot, like, you know, we're able to make a lot more money because we had one shipping cost is basically the same. In any case, we went from Etsy to a contract manufacturer, like, you know, Mary, to a much larger facility that could produce hundreds of thousands of units a year or even, you know, in a a week. And that, like, you know, we saw price decreases the whole time. And whenever I talk to new entrepreneurs now, I think the takeaway from this segment should be when you're pricing a product really early on, you should expect your cogs to fall materially if you reach scale. Right. You don't need to price it at so high a price that you're, you have 30, 40, 50% margins at your original price when you're working with really small time uh, suppliers and paying price premiums to have really low amounts produced for you. You should expect all those prices to fall and then be like, okay, what price would I price it at if my prices fell 25%, which they will. will. Right. So that's one takeaway. And here are the other things I think to think about when you're working with a supplier. One is MOQs. Do you know what MOQs are? Yeah, minimum order quantity. Yeah. So for like um, a long weekend, what MOQs do you look for? I think ours are a thousand per SKU. That's awesome. That's really low. Yeah. Um, usually now a supply, like, you know, Mary at the time, like, you know, the girl from Etsy was like, Are your MOQ is 10 and you can go up to a, a 500. Right. Mary, when we started, it was 60 or 80, and now it's like 5,000, basically, for most yeah. people. And yeah, so, like, we're the only probably exception for Mary. Yeah. So, most of the like MO, you, what you want to do when you're a really young business is work with someone with low MOQs. So, you don't have to put up a ton of cash yeah. uh, to buy a ton of inventory, which you don't know what's going to sell and what's not going to sell. It does look like, though, from a, for a components, we, we had our MOQ was 10,000. Yeah. Components is so much components harder. Components are just going to chill for a while. So I guess like when I'm looking at a contract manufacturer who's going to make my products, I look at MOQs. I'll look at payment terms as well, which is look, you know, how much cash do you need now? Yeah. Like a lot of people will be like, we need 50% upfront and then 50% right when we ship you the product. 
Some will say we need 100% upfront. We need all of the money right away. You know, that means that you put in thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, and you won't get anything to sell for weeks or months. And so you want to look at MOQs. You want to look at payment terms. What do you recommend for payment terms? 50-50 is like pretty standard in the industry. That's a great question. Sometimes you can negotiate, like, you know, you can generally negotiate suppliers down, particularly as you work with them longer, you become a better customer where you can say, I'll give you 40 and uh, 60 or 25 and 75. Yeah. The one thing a lot of people will say is, oh, I'm ready to switch suppliers because somebody else is giving me better payment terms. And I'm like, you have no idea what you, like, you found a reliable supplier. That's like finding a wife. Yeah. You're like, um, and now you're like, I'm going to find a different wife because this woman, uh, you know. She farts. Yeah. She, <laughs> she makes the coffee a little bit better than this woman. Yeah. And like, you have no idea what you're giving up when you're switching suppliers for slightly better payment terms. That's almost a price I've never willing to pay. The same thing goes for marketing agencies when yeah. people are like, oh, they, you know, it's like one small thing and they're ready to switch shops, but they've never realized it's, you know, finding a good, like in with any team, I think externally, a good rhythm is very hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. And if you find someone who's reliable and like has high quality standards, you don't want to like give that up yeah. for better payment. Better you get a loan from Wayfire right. or, you know, ClearBank if they're still around, which I don't think they are, but if they are, go get a loan rather than give up a good supplier. One thing that's changed between my day and today is like my day in 2015, a lot of businesses were launching with stock components. Mm-hmm. Now, like you have a 10,000 MOQ. I think it's probably because you have a custom component. Yeah. Now it feels like very few people launch without custom components. What are your thoughts on that? I think it make, it's like a moat, like, you know, makes it harder to start a business. Yeah. I feel like it. it's not even that worth it. I feel like everything that you need to do, that you need to focus on is before somebody gets the package. Like the marketing, the website, the messaging, the positioning. Once they've ordered the thing, you could probably sell a few thousand units before you decide to invest in very custom packaging. I think that's true. You're basically saying um, test it with stock packaging so you have yeah. low MOQs, switch to custom if right. it's working. That is what we did. And I think that is the best advice. The hard part is it's going to sell a little bit less or like worse, I should say, with stock rather than custom. Because everyone wants a unique unboxing experience and all that kind of stuff. P&G famously talks about two moments of truth. One is the moment of truth when you buy it because the packaging is so appealing. And the second moment of truth is when you use it. You know, when you buy it, that first moment of truth may be just as important as the second, which is, is this packaging appealing to me? Does it look awesome? Mm -hmm. Like, um, do you know Sol de Janeiro or whatever? It's like, you know, their packaging is awesome. It looks so good. Drunk Elephant you know, today I feel like their packaging is tr- like old, but originally their packaging looked great. Yeah. You know, great packaging sells. Everyone wants does. beautiful stuff in yeah. their uh, bathroom and wants to be inspired. So I think that is hard. Um, the other things I think about when I'm looking at a contract manufacturer is lead times and agility. Like, you know, how long will it take them to make your product? Like if I place a PO today, are they going to take 12 weeks? Are they going to take eight weeks, four weeks? Early on, you need a ton of flexibility and agility. We'd be able we, we were able to call up our contract manufacturer and be like, tomorrow you were going to produce lavender and rose. We want coconut and vanilla because that's the thing we're actually going to run out of stock on. Mm-hmm. So I thought agility was super helpful. And like, you know, it's this battle. It's like a, it's like one of those scales. The more agility you have, the more you're going to pay. Right. The less agility you need, the less you're going to pay because you can work with big guys who like use their lines 24 hours a day. You know, everything is spoken for. And they're like, look, we'll make, if you want 100,000 coconut and vanilla, 
every week on Friday, we'll do that. Right. But if you need a change, if you want 120,000 or 80,000, that's going to be a big problem. And so we'll pay, we'll give you discounts if you want 100,000 every Friday for the rest of your life. Yep. If you want 90,000 or 110,000, we're going to punish you. Right. And so those are the things that you got to balance as you're working with these guys. One other one that I think is important too, and this probably also goes for 3PL, which is like just being able to call somebody, text somebody, talk to somebody. Yeah. Real time. Yeah. That's the next one I've got is. Yes. Is do you like working with this person? Yeah. Are they trustworthy or are they not trustworthy? Can you call or text the CEO? One of the other things that I look for is the CEO make business problems personal issues. Yes. Like if they're fucking things up, they can't sleep at night. Right. That's the guy I want to work with. Not the guy who's like, it's 5 p.m. Yeah, we fucked up 40 yeah, things. tomorrow's problem. Yeah, no, not even, it's, that's not, you know, I'm sleeping fine. Right. I'm sleeping like a baby. That's not who you want to work with. Agreed. You call them up and you hear anxiety in their voice when they made a, when they made, when there's an issue. That's important. Yeah. You can't just rely on paid social and PPC for growth. Hundreds of brands like True Classic, Daily Harvest, and Manscaped have turned to TV advertising using Tatari's platform, and they're absolutely crushing their acquisition goals. Many of my own clients at Hooks also use Tatari. We used them while I was at Native2, and I can tell you that their team is awesome and the measurement is just like digital, so you'll see site visits, purchases, or even installs from TV. Check out their three-minute video at tatari.tv slash limited supply. Here are two other things that I meant uh, I want to talk about with here. Uh, one is you have to make it a safe space for them to make mistakes. Mary often would be like, we made a mistake in this product. This whole We're throwing out the whole batch. Tomorrow, you, we're going to promise you that we, we told you we're going to deliver this and we're not going to. You want somebody who says that instead of somebody who says, well, uh, they need coconut and vanilla. It doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, we made a mistake. Send it. Maybe they won't notice. Right. You want somebody who has that level of commitment to high quality and who's like, there's a mistake. I, I made a mistake. And you don't go, you're not like, what the fuck are you doing over there? Because if you do, then the next time they make a mistake, they're not going to admit it to you. They're just going to be like, ship it to them. Moise is going to get really mad. Right. So I think a safe space for mistakes is really important. And then I think one of the other things I think about is you should go there at least once a year, if not once a quarter to build a personal relationship, to understand the equipment that they're using, to understand what, like, you know, you're going to go there and have ideas. Oh, they're doing this. Maybe they could, we could do a little bit more of this. Maybe we could add a different scent to this line. They're already making this product. Could they uh, make this product and this other product for us? Totally. Um, you have to uh, put in FaceTime. Even just time. meeting the people in the lines. Yes. They get more pride out of completing the work. That's right. Working on it. They're That's like, right. oh, I met Moyes. I met the guy that makes this. That's right. Yeah. And then also, like, you want to be... Tough, like as we grew, we asked for price discounts, but not in a way where we're like, we're going to put you out of business or you right. should give up on quality control. Right. One of the things that we we pushed, um, pack this guy named Nick at PackageWorks. Do you know Nick? No. Okay, I got to introduce. He, uh, on, on box pricing. Okay. And like the first boxes, we had custom boxes made. The custom boxes were cheaper than Uline boxes, which was insane. Lead times were a little bit longer, but that was okay. And the boxes were great. And we uh, were able to like make sure the weights were great. And I pushed them on pricing because we went from ordering 10,000 boxes a month to 200,000 boxes a month. And I noticed that the quality of the boxes, and this isn't his fault. He was like, look, you're pushing me hard on pricing. I don't think we can get there. And I'm like, no, you got to get there. And the quality of the boxes would get a little bit worse. <laughs> you know, they'd go from an E flute to a worse flute. Like, you know, they'd trim off a little bit of the cardboard to save a little bit of money. 
you want to push them to a level where they make the same quality product with lower prices because they can get cheaper discounts on cardboard, on ingredients, or all that kind of stuff. Right. So there is this bad, you don't want to kill them so they don't make any margin because if you do that, you're just going to get a shittier product. What order volume did you switch over to custom packaging versus using just plain brown boxes? Uh, very early on, because I called up Nick for a few reasons. One was um, I was really concerned about weight. We shipped everything via USPS first class. One of the things we're not, we're not going to talk too much about today is optimizing shipping, which you really want to do. I've got a good example, actually. But like, um, if you uh, like, we wanted to save on weight, and so I called up Nick to make custom packaging because the Uline boxes were putting us in a, like ten ounces for a single stick. Yeah. I was like, Nick, I need less than this. And he's like, this can get us to seven ounces. And I was like, sold. And so it's custom packaging. Nick got me cheaper prices with custom packaging with my name on it, with a really beautiful box and a great. Native still uses the same box. The one that I designed with Nick eight years ago, and that was cheaper box than the Uline non-custom, you know, standard box. Wow. And it was cheaper weight, so cheaper postage, custom boxes, so better experience, and, um, you know, custom name and all that better unboxing experience. So super early on, there was this guy I know, he sold mattresses on Amazon and he wasn't looking at boxes as much as I was. And he hired some Amazon consultant, my friend Fahim. And my, my friend was like, your boxes are half an inch too wide on one side. And this half inch moves you from a large box to an extra large size. And that extra large size costs you $60 more in postage. What? Why did you do this? And the guy's like, I had no idea that that was the case. And he's like, well, now we got to sell all the shitty inventory. I was like, I'm going to try and call Amazon and see if they'll do anything for you. But you, they probably won't because you're uh, half an inch too large. But he's like, next time you're designing packaging, call me because yeah. this matters. And you're going to pay an extra $40 a unit until we get rid of these. And then we redesign your boxes to be in half inch less. And you're going to save $40. Yeah. I just added $40 to your margin doing nothing. Doing nothing. Yeah. And that's why like, you got you to be all on top of all these things. Totally. That's what my favorite person to negotiate with is Stripe because I'm like, I get the exact same service for cheaper amounts. And then like, you know, this actually does matter. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about inventory before we run out of time. Just-in-time inventory is holy grail. Like just-in-time means in inventory that you make right away. There's this great story about Toyota. Toyota, like, have you have you read any of these stories about Toyota's like manufacturing processes? No. So famously, like, you know, now Fords are good cars, but in the 1990s, Fords were pieces of shit. Everyone was buying Toyotas, of course, because Toyotas worked. Yeah, and Fords broke down. The immigrant staple, exactly. And if, the the rumor was that at Ford, nobody could stop the line. You're like, hey, this steering wheel is like all messed up. The line keeps going, doesn't even matter. You keep shipping that car and somebody's going to have to buy a Ford with the steering wheel all messed up. Toyota famously had this motto where anybody could stop the line. Like a janitor could be like, I see something wrong. We got to stop the line and fix this. Wow. So anyway, Toyota has this just-in-time inventory thing. In Georgetown, uh, Kentucky, as a vehicle comes out of a paint shop, an order is transmitted to their seat supplier who's an hour away. And the supplier bills the correct color seat and the model seats and delivers them at the Kentucky plant right when the car needs seats. Actually, about two hours before the car needs seats. Wow. The seats are installed at the end of the line. And so they they transmit it like, you know, about an hour or two beforehand and they get there right in time. They have a plant in San Antonio, Texas. The seats are installed earlier in the line. So the seat supplier is located 10 yards away from the final assembly and takes 20 minutes to be like, we need this seat in 20 minutes. The guy's like, great, here's the seat. 
and then make the car there. So they never hold any inventory. Wow. Which seems crazy, but like, like you know, that's Toyota. What direct consumer business can do this? But I'll tell you a few businesses that do do this. The Books, do you know the Books? I've heard of it. Flower business. Yeah. They ship their flowers actually from South America. I'm pretty sure it's Colombia, but I'm not positive. One of the, like, you know, two founders got together. One of the founders, his parents owned a flower garden in Colombia. And so basically you order flowers, they go out and clip the flowers in Colombia and ship them to you. Wow. The flowers are not dying until, like, they don't clip them until you place the order. Wow. And the benefit of this is the flowers you get from the boops are going to be super fresh because they weren't sitting in some factory for a couple of days. They were just made. The cons are these guys have got to ship this stuff from Colombia to your door, which costs a ton of money. There's a few other guys that do this. Ruggable, you know, Ruggable? Oh, yeah. They make all of their rugs to order. Really? They have no inventory. They make them to order. Uh, Bowl and Branch, do you know Bowl and Branch? Yeah. They're doing $200 million in revenue this year. They work directly with their cotton growers. Wow. Buffy, like the CEO of the business, his parents owns own or owned a textile mill in like Asia that yeah. they use to make their stuff. That type of supply chain is a competitive advantage. And But for something like Bowl and Branch, wouldn't it be smarter to just use a, a manufacturer where you don't need it on demand? Or I guess then it's the battle of, do you want to store inventory versus, because it's not like it's mostly on demand or custom stuff. Ruggable is definitely different. Yeah. Ruggable is definitely different. I think there's a fine balance, which is how much cash do you want tied up in inventory? Mm -hmm. And like one of the mistakes that a lot of people did in 20, in 2020, everyone's e-commerce business went like this. Right. And so what happened was that everyone was like, in 2021, they're like, we're out of stock on everything. We're, you know, we need to yeah, order a ton. Everything. And then in 2022, COVID was over. Everyone was shopping brick and, stores, brick and mortar stores and everyone's like, oh fuck. Yeah. I have all this extra inventory. Happened to 10 businesses that I advise where they're like, what do we do? How do we clearance this out? And you and I have talked about how to sell clearance totally. items. And so, you know, you want to finally balance how much inventory you have. And my goal is always three or four turns of inventory every year, which means three times a year or four times a year, you're down to zero. You want to stock up a little bit more and maybe have 90 days of inventory going into Black Friday, maybe 120 days. But like, you know, in July, you might want to have 30 to 60 days because it'll be a slower month. Like you want that stuff to turn so you don't have a bunch of cash sitting on your out, uh, balance sheet in inventory, right? where it's not earning you anything. But then there's also the balance of higher quantities and lower cost per unit, right? That's right. Yeah. There, there is that fine balance. Yeah. And like, you know, everyone has to make that judgment for themselves. Like how much inventory are you willing to store and right. how much are you willing to like, uh, you know, can you get price discounts with, with what you're doing? Right, right. Okay. The final thing I wanted to chat about was three PLs. Your favorite. My three PLs. I used to be an advisor to Shipmunk. I stopped being an advisor basically because of uh, I was unhappy with them. Yeah. And like I gave up a million dollars in equity and I was like, I can't be an advisor to you guys any longer. I can't take this million dollars. Shipmunk was supposed to be the tech enabled, robotic driven 3PL. Yeah. I used to think it was Shipmunk, but now I think it's a lot of people who are- yeah, I think not. it's anybody. I think there are like mom and pop store, like, you know, the hard, the hard part is you want to balance somebody with your needs again. Like when we started, I was doing it myself and I encourage everyone to do it yourself until you're doing 50, hundred orders a day, yeah. because you need to understand how much do boxes weigh? What's the, like, you know, is this a box, a good box? Does it take too much time to assemble this box? 
can I shave off an ounce on here and save money? Can I shave off a pound here and save money? Because later on, when you go to a 3PL, you want to be able to speak in all of those terms, and you're not going to be able to without that type of experience. The first person we ever moved to was, I, I drove all of the inventory I had to my apartment to their facility in San Leandro. You know, they were great. I could just drive there anytime. I'd be like, hey guys, I'm coming in. It was this guy named Joel. He's like, come on in. And I'd see them packing stuff and like they were packing for acne, doctor acne or acne.com. Mm -hmm. And I, like, they were like, I was like, how many packages is that guy doing? And they're like 250 a day or 300 a day. And I was like, I'm going to beat that guy. And soon we got to be huge and we're beating that guy. And that they were great for us. And the same thing with everybody else. Then we were like, this is great. You're fantastic. But you will have one hub here in San Leandro, California. Right. We need somebody with multiple facilities. And so we started working with Amy and you know, she had two facilities. And the first two weeks of working with her were a disaster. And then she got a oh, you star a cadence and what we needed, and she was ready for it. Right. So you want to graduate to people who are working with you at the level that you're at. If you're a billion dollar business, Shipbunk might make sense for you because you'll have they have five different nodes or like 10 different nodes. You know, they're in Dallas and Mexico and all these other places. But if you're a business doing under $50 million, I think it's really hard because you don't get the customer service that you need. Yeah. And so I'd say go find somebody where you can, like, you know, where you get customer service in a way that they prioritize you because you're a big account. You don't want to be the biggest fish in a small pond. You don't want to be the biggest fish, but you don't want to be the smallest fish. Yeah. Either. And I think that's the tough part. And, you know, with all of these guys, I respect how hard it is. They have temporary labor, right? Like uh, a lot of these guys have temporary, there's huge swings in fulfillment. Right. It's not just Black Friday. Oh, you ran a July 4th sale and didn't tell me that your orders were going to double. Right. What the fuck am I supposed to do now? Right. Every package needs to be perfect. You're missing an insert card. Your, you know, your deodorant isn't turned up correctly. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff. And it's like physical labor. It's a really hard job. And so whenever I work with this, uh, whenever I think about a, a 3PL, I'm first, I'm like, I need to visit there. Second, I'm like, can I call the CEO? Can I text the CEO? Will he respond? Will he prioritize my problems? He should know about my problem before I escalate it to him. Because yeah. I probably escalated it to somebody on his team and they're not taking it seriously enough. So now I'm escalating it to him and he better be on top of it. Right. There are other things as well. Like, do they work on the weekends? Like, are they going to ship stuff out Saturday and Sunday? Which I think is getting to be more and more. Or important. receive stuff Saturday, Sunday. Or receive stuff Saturday or Sunday. Uh, that's a great point. And then a lot of people will try and say, hey, these are the rates we're going to charge you from a shipping perspective, your UPS rates or your FedEx rates, or we're going to ship it out. I almost always want to bring in my own rates at this point because I always feel like if I bring in other people's rates, I'm not going to get like the service that I wanted. Yeah. Or like, I feel like I'm going to get cheated somehow. Typically when they say they want their rates, they're basically, it's like, you don't even need a UPS account. They'll funnel it all through theirs. Correct. And then they'll probably make some, some large arbitrage on that. That's correct. Got it. And they'll, they'll make way more than they're admitting to you. Right. Then there'll be bullshit fees that you're like, where did Test this fee come in? Oh, uh, there's a peak surcharge fee, which there was for the first time in like 2021. Yeah. A 3PL I worked with, I was like, you guys are charging peak surcharge fees in January. There's no peak surcharge yeah. anymore. And they're like, yeah, actually it was peak for us too. So we were really busy. So we need to charge more. I was like, what? So you just attacked on a fee and pretended like UPS was charging yeah. you charging the fee? That doesn't make any sense. Then they were like, with UPS MI... What happens is UPS takes the package most of the way, but then USPS delivers it to the door. And what's UPS MI? It's a service level at U, uh, from UPS where they're like, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you cheap rates, particularly for under five pounds, but over one pound or even under a pound, actually. So under five pounds. They're like, we're going to take your deodorant. We're going to deliver it over here. Great. That sounds wonderful. Well, 
you know, one of the three PLs I worked with was like, we're charging a residential delivery surcharge. And I was like, wow, UPS charges this? I didn't even realize it's 45 cents on a package. Yeah. And then I researched it and I was like, this surcharge doesn't exist. Where's the surcharge from? Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's our margin. And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? That's your margin. You, you made up a name for yeah, it? You, 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 built, you told me these are the prices and now you're just charging a random delivery surcharge wherever the fuck you want. Yeah. That's not right. So I, uh, you know, one of my businesses switched out of there and saved, I think the first month, $120,000 on shipping costs, moving from UPSMI, their account to UPSMI, its own account without paying any extra. Like, you know, same level of service, just no deliveries, no bullshit surcharges that this other place was charging. Wow. That's the worst part about 3PLs. I just feel like they're adding fees in and you're like, where's this fee? They sound legit. They sound, it's like- For The average you know, person, it's a legit fee. Definitely. It's, it's just passed through. It's, I'm surprised there wasn't a 9-11 security fee on that guy's uh, yeah. you know, bill where he's like, nine, like you know, on airlines, there's like yeah, a 9-11 yeah. fee. I'm uh, like, well, a fee. Yeah, exactly. How come there's no 9-11 fee on here? Like, yeah. you know, whoa, we're in America. We suffered from 9-11. We need a little bit more money because right, 9-11 yeah. happened in America. Yeah. And anyway, so 3PL is a tough job. I recognize that. I find that working with small mom and pop stores are where you can get price transparency because- they feel ashamed when you're like, where's this charge from? And they're like, wow. That's also a big part of their sales pitch is like, we're not going to rip you off. Yes. We, here's every, here's our books. Yes. Here's exactly how much margin we make per order. So I think that Ship Hero, like, you know, I've seen, I've never worked with Ship Hero. I've heard terrible things about Ship Hero on Twitter. Yeah. I think working with those people makes sense at a certain level. I think virtually nobody I know is there. Yeah. Even True Classic, I would say, I would never, I would never tell True Classic. I think you should work with a, one of these massive companies that's well, VC backed. Yeah, there's so one is I think just going back. Yeah, VC backed means like they have to grow it un, at a at a pace that is not sustainable. It's not well, yeah, not sustainable, but but it's also like you can't just hire ten thousand people overnight because you need to because that's what the Excel sheet says. That's right. The other thing is. Um, we were with Ship Hero. Long weekend was using Ship Hero, and then we had to leave because they couldn't fulfill fare orders. Uh, like there was something about you have to submit your box size into fare before you ship it, so they give you the label. They couldn't do that, and so we had to leave. So that was another thing. Wow. When we switched, that was one of the first questions: was Are you able to fulfill with fare or any of these other marketplaces? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a great. And so is like you know, can you ship into brick and mortar stores? Yeah. Because like you know, are you ready to be able to ship into Target DCs? If not, that's going to be a problem. Do you not have, like, are you only good at direct to consumer or can you palletize and get ready for Walmart and Target? Yeah. Because that, that, that may be a big thing. And if not, if they can't, then we're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. One, one funny Shapiro story that just came to mind, which again, Shapiro is probably great for the right, right brand, right size. But uh, we had somebody from a military base ordered like two deodorants and Shapiro shipped 200 deodorants in two massive boxes not even taped properly. And no one thought to think, huh, is this weird? Yeah, that's so funny. Was that with, you were using Shapiro with- That was with Shapiro, yeah. Wow. Uh, I heard this story from Ritual early on when they just launched their business. Somebody ordered one bottle of Ritual vitamins. Yeah. And they shipped a whole pallet. And the person's like, I just got a pallet of Ritual vitamins. (laughs) And they're like, oh my God, (laughs) what the fuck? Yeah. You know, I think, and to be honest, look, I think they're growing pains with everybody. For you sure. know, I mean, I know Black Wolf Nation uses Shapiro and loves them. Really? Phenomenal. Yeah. I thought Black Wolf Nation had their own. They did. They had one, two, three fulfillment, which was theirs. And then they sold it to Shapiro. And now they use multiple okay. nodes. It's really tough. 
there's no one with, that you're going to have a perfect experience with. Yeah, it comes when we, down to that relationship thing. Correct. The same lessons from the manufacturing side. Relationships, making room for mistakes, but then also knowing where the cutoff is. That's right. And like, does the person who's running that place may feel like, oh my God, we made a big fuck up when yeah. they did make a big fuck up? If they're like, oh, that's the cost of doing business. Fuck your customers. Right. That's not the right person to be with. And like, if that is an X factor that's so hard, to, like, you know, you've got to look for references and call up references and be like, hey, Nick, what was your experience like with Ship Hero? Hey, Moyes, what was your experience like with Shipmonk? Yeah. So that you can be like, okay, should I work with these people? And I think if you ask me, I'd say the experience is there are right clients for both of those, but for all businesses, if you're a really small brand, it may might still be right for you because they're fast and like reliable. If you're scaling, you got to find the right guys and that can be really, really difficult. Totally. Okay, that's everything we've got for operations. Amazing. Next week, we're going to be talking about Black Friday, Cyber Monday, everything from what to do with your merchandising strategy, your affiliate strategy, your site strategy, et cetera. And uh, I'm excited for that one because- That's so killer. Yeah. I mean, that's everything that everyone needs to know right away. Yeah. I'll tell you everything we're about to do with our clients and I'm excited to get your POV too. Awesome. That's a wrap for episode one. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one. 